So, Faith. Yes. Tell me about Shelley. I'm really looking forward to meeting her. You know, we've talked about so many contemporary subjects lately and the metaverse and all sorts of things, but we haven't really dealt with gender equality yet. So I'm no. really looking forward to diving into it. Yeah. Uh, Shelley Zalas is somebody I know for years and years and years and years. And, you know, the female quotient is all about, she sets up these rooms that like Davos, every kind of place that you go to. And then she invites women to come speak, speak to each other, make connections. So it's, it's almost like a girl club. Right. I know I'm not supposed to say girl, no. but you know, you know what I mean by that. It's like in opposition to the boys club, it's like a girls club, but maybe it could be even more so. And I'd love to know where she's going with this. So we could ask her that, like, what are the plans for it in the future? Right. And why she started it. So Faith, it's so ironic that here we are about to have Shelley as our guest right at the moment when um, Queen passed away. So I couldn't help but think about the female quotient, and the role of women in society today and what it must have been like for the queen at a young 25 years old to take on this job, the queenly quotient, as opposed to Shelley's female quotient, and just be surrounded by men in a massively male-dominated world, the firm, as they call it. So what do you think about that and how, you know, what it must have been like for her to begin to develop as a, as a full human being under those circumstances. I think she was doing a lot of crying in her pillow, <laughs> in her royal pillow, in a gorgeous pillow, in her hand-embroidered pillow. Indeed. And they probably changed it in the morning because it was drenched with queenly tears. Yeah, that's what I think. I mean, I hope that the relationship with Philip was as it seemed. I hope she was crazy about him, but uh, that must have been really tough. And you know what, Annie? What 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 Shelley, you know, Shelley's life is about is today's really tough too. Like we say, you know, we've made advances. We have not really made advances. And we still have the the heel, the foot, the heel on our necks, or whatever you know, that expression was. We do. And it's getting it, that's why women don't want to go back to work. It's getting very discouraging. And Originally, you know, I was a proponent of the idea that women would start their own companies, right. but they can't, they can't get backing. So that's hard right. too. So. Right. I just, I just saw something that compared the amount of money Adam Newman, you know, the, the, the WeWork guy raised for his new business called Flow, uh, real estate business, compared that amount of money, I think it was $425 million to the amount of money that all female entrepreneurs have raised oh. right? just that one person right was like 10x or some crazy number what all yeah. the female entrepreneurs together have it's, raised it's, it's just like all the wealth is concentrated what and the one percent is equal yes. to the lower 50 percent you know that is unfair is like it's unfair can it be changed i think is the better question maybe and i'm not sure anymore i was sure more sure later I don't think we can work in a male-constructed model and expect to exceed. I don't think that's going to happen. We'll have to make our own model. Well, that's your version. That's that's uh, structural genderism. Okay. And which is another version of structural racism. Unless you change the basic architecture, you're not going to solve the problem. But here the architecture is complicated because you should say, was built over time by men. You know, I think we talked about this once. There's a theory that says corporate structure, which is relatively recent, you know, industrial revolution or earlier actually, but still relatively recent in history, had no pattern to base itself on. So they used two models, both male dominated, that's the point, right? The military and the church. Those are the only large structured organizations that existed before business as we know it did. So what else, so male dominated institutions that basically created the frameworks that corporate and industrial commerce uses. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, there's a movie coming out, I'll think of the name in a sec, about women warriors 
uh, with Viola right. Davis, right? I, I right. think maybe we're right. going to see some of that revolution right. in entertainment. She's she's an she's an amazingly talented person. Yeah, love her. Okay, so Faith, we've uh, we've set Shelly up in the most wonderful way we can. We got her business, we got the Queen, so let's bring her on and have a great conversation. Good, you're gonna love her. I'm so excited that you're here, Shelly Zalis, female quotient. I don't know, you are so, talk about futurists, you are so before your time, I mean, you know, understanding that women needed a room of their own, but a room of their own at the Fortune 200. That's how you, you know, you made it happen. And, and we want to hear all about it. Addie, meet Shelly. Hey there. Hey, so happy to be here. I have to say, Faith, you have been an inspiration and role model for me my Thanks. entire career. So I'm so honored to be here. Uh, we're you really happy to be here. Well. So Shelly, could you tell us... Shelly Zalis, who you are, what you do, and what is the Female Quotient? Mm. I'm Shelly Zalis, the CEO of the Female Quotient, otherwise known as Chief Troublemaker, number one fan of Faith Popcorn. Oh, thank you. It's so true. I only oh, tell the truth. I, vice versa. Uh, the Female Quotient is in the business of equality, and uh, we, we create pop-ups all over the world um, to bring conscious leaders together to change the equation and close the gender gaps. Cool. You know, I saw on your website also, you, you call yourself a troublemaker. There's a great book you might like called In Defense of Troublemakers. Mm. I would love that. Yeah, Addie's going to uh, send it to you. I'll send okay. it. I'll send it to you. Okay. Will you write me a note in it? I will. Okay. Yeah. It'll say, handle with care. It creates a lot of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so, Addie, do you want me to ask anything yeah just kick kick it off kick and it off gonna oh. ask. yeah so how would you describe gender equality progressing in the last decade oh gosh would you just say not uh, one word answer backwards yeah. backwards okay <laughs> um and could anything change that shelly why is it like this well, you know, I, I mean, I, I would say, first of all, I think the one good news is we've stopped talking about it. And I think we are creating more actions and solutions. I just think the biggest problem is that the pandemic has created a backwards, um, you know, curveball. And so had the pandemic not have created a, a halt and a turnaround, uh -huh. we would have... Um, we, we were going forward, but I think that did create a backwards uh, turn for us. Because everybody then said, oh, especially women, I want to stay home. This is so nice. I don't want to go back to the office. I want to work from home. And even though they think that they've made a giant step forward saying that, I, I say, and I understand why they would like to work from home, because you can balance all your 70,000 jobs that, that are on your shoulders a little bit, you know, a little bit more um, economically better, easier. But the thing is that this is just a brand new way of women getting cut out because as the men flood back to work, you know, and you're not at work, you're not the first person somebody thinks about when they pick their head up. Anyway, that's my thought. What do you think? There's so many things I, I think about when you just said that. First of all, the craziest thing is so many people said, oh, Shelly, we're not really focused on gender anymore. We're focused on color. Color? <laughs> yeah. Women of color. Okay. Now, right. As if, as if women of color isn't women anymore. I mean, if I told you that when we started back, if even there's a back after the pandemic, I don't even know if we're still in the pandemic or not. I mean, that's a big question. Um, people said, oh, we're back to work. I said, We've been working actually harder than ever before. We're back maybe to office if we even know what yeah. that means. But people said it's not about gender anymore. We're we're having the color conversation. And all of a sudden everyone was focused on color because of George Floyd. And that became an interesting conversation. So that's number one. Second, you know, the great resignation. So many women left the workforce in greater numbers than ever before. 
pre-pandemic yes. now, whatever post-pandemic or during pandemic that we're in. And now we're into the great reimagination, which to me is opportunity. Then we started thinking about, as you said, stay at home, you know, the invisible labor conversation that we're all having when we thought men would take on more responsibility because men and women were all at home. But of course, women still are assuming the majority of the responsibility with caregiving. That hasn't changed. Women still are Zooming full-time and still caregiving Yeah, um, is still their predominant responsibility. And then when you look at the um, jobs and the layoffs um, that took place during the pandemic, it's the entry-level positions that got eliminated or, you know, removed or, you know, whatever we want to talk about, it was the women positions. So all kinds of things, you know, happened with women and that became a big issue. So, you know, all of those things, you know, we, we definitely went backwards in that regard during the pandemic. And now we're dealing with that as we come back. And then you look right. at so many women, as you said, Faith, when we have returned to office so many women said gosh it's just it's too hard i can't do it all which they were saying before but now more than ever now that they're working from home and so many jobs are requiring back to office full time they are saying i don't want to do that and this hybrid schedule um, especially when we make it elective guess who's going to take it women are going to take it and it becomes the golf game yeah the men are going to be the ones in the office and as much as we say oh well, the ones that want to take it electively, it's going to be the ones that are seen, heard, and visible that are going to be the ones promoted and, you know. Exactly, exactly. Rewarded. You know, and I've talked to, I've interviewed quite a few men that were at home. And in the beginning, actually, they kind of liked it. Oh, this is cool. You know, I can play golf and leave early and do this or do that. or, And then after a very little while, they say, can't take it anymore. You know, the kids are coming down here. They're all in the basement for some reason. The kids are coming down here and they're interrupting me and blah, blah, blah. And like, welcome to what women have put up with the whole time. They could not wait to get back. And I think that, I, I don't know, Addie, what do you think? There's a lot like you guys are talking about. So I think on the last point, I think that the there is no doubt a sort of a gender um bifurcation between going back and staying home. But I think there is also a very strong introversion, extroversion correlation, which is, you know, maybe it's distributed in a way across gender, it probably is. But I think that the people who go back tend to be those people that need to feed off the social energy more than other people. You know, that book, The Power of, uh, not Power of Privacy, but it was about people who were very, Power of Introversion, actually, I think it was called. So I think think that this, you know, this, this situation of hybrid really amplifies the distinction between people who like to work more independently by themselves and other people who need the social power around them, the fuel, the social fuel around them, I should say. So I think that's interesting. I, I would agree that the, the pandemic set women back. I think the interesting thing would be how much of that is a short-term change that's going to kind of re- go back to whatever the mean was, and some of it will stay around. I don't think we know yet what the full return to work movement will be. It's also very different by industry. So, yeah, you know, a friend of mine, her daughter is at Goldman. Goldman is full-time back, full-time craziness, full-time intensity. It's a bro culture to start with. But other, other the more tech companies are really not forcing people back like Jamie Dimon did and, and David Solomon at Goldman and so forth. So I think those companies are going to be those companies that are being much more fascist, if you will, about being back in the office. They're going to find it harder to recruit the next generation. There's no, there's no doubt about it. I think we will end up with hybrid, and I think that hybrid is a great solution. I think what we need, though, is what you do for some needs to be done for all, so that we don't kick in bias and that there's no bias barrier. And what we will hopefully end up with is predictive flexibility. And that is how we create a structure that is, you know, predictive flexibility is where we create like team, where teams will meet like Tuesdays and Thursdays in the office. Because I think social interaction is necessary for 
mental health and wellness and collaboration and all of those things. I think that those water cooler moments are very important. And I think that interpersonal relationships are very important and that body language, you know, and faith, totally you know that better than anybody. So I think predictive flexibility where team time is we time and that needs to be in person and that me time could be work from home. And I think that that's how we need to start creating that hybrid schedule um, workarounds. And I think that's where we'll get to. But do you think older managers like 50 plus white men are going to be okay with that? Because they like to boss around the, and they like to see the people that they're bossing. You know, I, I probably, but I think that we're going to have to get to that um, couple day of work, you know, in office. Yeah. I was just going to say, you know, you could argue that it's easier to be a top heavy boss remotely than it is in person. Why is that? It's like, it's easy. It's easier to kill somebody if you're piloting a drone than if you have to cut their head off. Because I think that there's an abstraction that happens through this platform and where the person is there, but you're not really fully absorbing their body language, their reaction, their emotive qualities. So it's easy to, I find people are, well, it depends. If it's one-on-one, that's different. If it's a group setting, then you're sort of now less reluctant to act out. But I think in one-on-one, for some people, it's easier to be harsh. It's like email. It's much easier to be I think I email the ultimate and text the ultimate abstraction, Zoom sort of a mid-level abstraction, and then the intimacy, I think, makes it harder sometimes to be brutal. So what would be your best question for Shelley? Oh, give me a good one. Of, of all the questions in the universe. Um, of so all let me, the questions you came up with. Oh, yeah. So I, I'm going to go to the one of the last questions because I'm sort of on my mind. So I've always wondered and I'm sure there's some sociological work, what the implications for younger males who were brought up by single women without a father in the household are in terms of their attitudes and their ability to relate to women differently than the my gen, baby boomer generation that tended to be brought up in the nuclear family. Like, what did that do to people? Did it make them more, fem- did it make men more empathetic or were they angry? What do you think? You know, interesting, you know, for me, I'm 60. And so, um, you know, most of the men in my generation had stay-at-home wives. You know, I was a rare. I was a rarity. I was, you know, in my generation, a lot of the women were stay-at-home moms. Right. Um, but my husband and I co-parented. So there was no defined mother-father role. We were... Um, parents and we shared responsibility at home so that we both could have equal opportunity at work. Um, and we divided and conquered. So our rules of the road were if one of us was traveling, the other couldn't. And, and that's how we sort of divided and conquered. And I was usually the one traveling. So you said, wait till your mother gets home one day, wait till your father gets home the next day. (laughs) (laughs) Basically. And, and, you know, he was in charge of finance and sports. And I was responsible for um, the home and the, the social stuff and, um, and school stuff. But then when he was out of town, I had to tie the hockey skates and my kids, uh, you know, ankles would wobble on the ice, but he couldn't complain. And when he didn't do the stuff, the cooking right, I couldn't complain. It was what it was. But I think in today's generation, the younger partners are sharing responsibility because they want dual income. And I think that they are taking more responsibility together so that they can have um, dual incomes as um, couples, because I think they want to have dual income relationships. And I even think they're even more progressive where they decide who the bigger earner is. And mm-hmm. if the woman is a higher earner than the man, the, sometimes the, the guy will take the responsibility and maybe stay home yeah. if they can't afford a, a a nanny or something like that. So I think they're way more progressive with this younger generation. Yeah. That's assuming that they want kids. I think a lot of people are going like, let's skip the kids. Right. And I think that that's true too. I think they're having that conversation when they're dating. Yeah. I think that that is a conversation they have. Birth rate down. Where they say, do they, do they want to wait for later in their life where they wait and have kids and they say, we just want one. So let's wait until later. Or do we even want to have kids at all? Or adopt. Um, Or adopt. So those are conversations I think they have when they're 
um, before they get married. Right. But back to your conversation about uh, and your insight about shared relationships, partnering. One of the things I've noticed over the years is the, the workplace tolerance for guys taking off to go to the school play or even to take their kids to the doctor. The tolerance level is very different than it was 10 or 15 years ago. Nobody, years ago, people would be even afraid to say that. They maybe pretend they were sick or something if they had something. But now it's a badge of honor in, with a lot of young guys that they care enough. This is even this is before the pandemic, but certainly now to participate in a meaningful way with the uh, with their children's lives. Well, you know, my son is 30 and my daughter-in-law is 29. They have a, a one-year-old. My grandson is almost one. And they share complete responsibility for the child. They are co-parenting. And it is, I mean, it's very different in this pandemic. They both work from home and they have big jobs and they equally parent. And it is the sweetest thing I've ever seen. And I mean, they have 50-50 responsibility. It's amazing. Doesn't each of them think the other is doing, that they're doing more? No, they actually, they, <laughs> I, they really, I mean, I don't think so. I mean, they really no, share. I'm just kidding complete responsibility for changing diapers and for staying up and for, you know, you did a good job um, with that boy. I really, well, you know, I worked throughout raising them. They've seen, you know, even my husband, I have to say is, I think was way more maternal. <laughs> I was. Uh, so, you know, they saw what we both did and I, they, my kids are really amazing that way. And so I don't know how I would have done it without my husband helping me as much as he did. I wouldn't have had the career that I had without him being as involved. So um, one of the things that we wanted to ask you about Beyonce and Adele is, because I know they, they're they your best friends. Um, oh, yeah, my besties. Yeah. So do you think that they're good role models, Beyonce and Adele, or anybody else you can think of? Are they, I mean, they have their kids around them. I mean, they, there's a lot of blah, blah, blah about the kids, which is very, you know, in the 40s and 50s, like stars would pretend they didn't have kids, right? Because it would right. age them and make them look fat. But do you think that they're good role models or who do you think in the public eye is a very good role model, best role model? Listen, I, I think that, First of all, I would never hide the fact I, I talk about my kids all the time. I have never hid the fact that I have kids. And when I was pregnant, I never hid the fact that I was pregnant. I have always had the photographs of my children on my desk. Um, I have owned my strengths. I have never hid them. I when I had soccer games or, you know, I so I have never been that girl. And if someone wanted to punish me for that, they would pay the price, not me. And so um, I have always stood up to that and set the trend and not followed a trend. So That's I will great. create the new trend. And, you know, and I always, it always bothers me when people think there is something in the handbook that says you can't leave work to go to your kid's soccer game. Or, you know, I don't know where that came from. You know, or you can't leave work early to go. I guess you never worked at Goldman. No, but, <laughs> but but the truth is, where does that come from? You know, I, it, it I'm comes sorry, from I'm, a, a workaholic culture. I understand that. But if you're great at what you do and you get your job done and, you know, you should have a life that is fulfilled. You know, I think Goldman, those, I know some young women that work there, it is their philosophy right 24 7 what do you mean you're going to take your kids you could be making money for us i mean that's okay maybe old-fashioned but i understand that but at some point someone has to rewrite those rules and it has to start by starting and my entire career i it wasn't going to work for me i would have opted out and so i remember when i was 
30 years old is when I had my first child. I used to stay at work until midnight. And we, we all used to stay. But I don't know why. We didn't have the internet. And we'd sit in our cubicles. And it was only because everybody else around us was staying until midnight. Where were you working was, then, Shelley? Uh, at a company called ASI. Oh, I know them but well. It, they they ruined a lot of my advertising. I'm sure, but I wasn't working on your business. If I was bad scores, your business, bad I scores. Everybody would wait for the ASI score to come in, and then it was bad, and the commercial was killed. Everybody would go out because we just drink. gave you the what, not the why. I didn't analyze exactly. your data, but you know, exactly. it was you know we, we would sit at our desks. This was maybe I was 24 years old, and we would all just be sitting there twiddling our thumbs. We didn't have online shopping or whatever at the time, and. One day, I thought, why am I sitting here? And so I left at five or six, and I didn't get fired. And so we all started leaving early. Someone has to just create the new trend. Or I started leaving to go to my kid's soccer game. And then everyone started going. There's, there's nothing in the handbook that says don't do that, right? Like, why? Why are we all sitting around for no reason? Get the so, hell out of there, right? Yeah, really? start the new rules. Back to one question. Do you think people like Beyonce and Adele have helped women in their imagery or their... Listen, the one thing that celebrities do is they set new trends. They, that's where mass media is. And mm -hmm. I think that Beyonce has is a role model for women in, in so many ways. Adele is a role model for women in so many ways. Um, Serena Williams... You know, absolutely, yeah. With you know, and would I, you know, and, and one of the things that I wrote about Serena Williams in particular, you know, she, leaving tennis to, you know, become a full time mom, could she continue to play tennis? Maybe not being on tour all the time, even though she could take her child, but now she's gonna, you know, be investing in, in women and, you know, pivoting and change it. She's still going to be a career woman, but doing something different. Right. You know, so I don't know that that message really came across by saying that that way, you know, she said it saddens her. So I think the word saddened maybe set the wrong message, but well, no, a, but it came coincidentally as she was right. aging out. Correct. So you have to be a little, you know, she could have said, look, I'm aging out. I'm going to do all these other things because the, not this, but follow the money. The money would be there. She lost that match, lost the other match. I mean. Right. And so for me, you know, someone said something very important to me uh, recently. You know, I, I hit 60 and they said, you know, and for me, my father always said, you know, may he rest in peace. He said he's ageless at every stage of life. It's not aging out. You're just choosing another chapter. Yeah. You know, 60 isn't the new 40. 60 is the new 60. 60 is 60. It's a new chapter. So That's she true. didn't age out. She's just choosing to do something else at this stage of her life. I wish you would stop saying 60 because... I'm happy at 60. I'm glad you're happy, but I'm looking at you and I I think you like you look like 40. And you keep saying 60. It's so shocking. But it, it, I'm embracing... You know, so many women think that that's... The end. It's the Not new beginning. It's, no. it's like a new chapter. And it's so wonderful. And I say it because I want women to embrace every stage of their life. And I'm not aging out. I'm aging in. And I'm better than I've ever been. And I'm more excited. I'm more invigorated. And I'm doing such exciting things right now. I have more energy. I have more passion for what I'm doing. And so Beyonce, Adele, they're role models. You know, and let's just go take a look at the role model thing from another point of view just so if you look at the research about instagram and the horrible effect it's had on young women because they can't measure up and they get more depressed so now take lady gaga who's much more embracing of, of women and who they are and they're her little monsters and she's she appears at least to be come as you are and look at the way she changes her look all the time. And she's not always perfect. Um, she loves Tony Bennett, as opposed to, you know, Beyonce, who is always about 
brittle perfection. So there's a difference, right? So do you think there's a risk that role model, yes, unachievable role also? You know, listen, I always say perfect people aren't real. Real people aren't perfect, you know? And I think, I mean, listen, Beyonce is on a, who knows what her real life is? I mean, you know, no one knows what happens behind closed doors. And I'm also so real. I don't expect to be a Beyonce, but I don't know what her life behind closed doors is, you know? And so I don't have those expectations to be a Beyonce. I don't want to be Beyonce, but I enjoy her music. I enjoy, you know, it's entertaining for me and I take it as entertainment. And I love a quote that she says, I'm not bossy, I'm the boss. And I, I, I take the inspiration. I love that. From, and it's great. So I take the inspiration from Beyonce that I want to take. I pick and choose the things I want to be inspired by. And do I want to be her? No. Do I take the things that inspire me? And do I enjoy reading about her? It's fun. It's entertaining. And, you know, but... I'm not stalking her and you know, all that. So people need to take things in proportion. Like you, you, your company, as I understand it, runs on these four pillars. Is that still true? Uh, We've evolved those pillars. I make, I make shit up every day, you know, like we evolve all the time. So what's the shit you've been making up? Last week. <laughs> most recently. Yeah, yes. most recently. Most like recent. last week. Now listen, we've evolved so much since the pandemic. You know, we were a, a one-trick pony kind of pre-pandemic, which the majority of our business was equality lounges. You know, we were doing 70 pop-ups uh, pre-pandemic at every industry conference around crazy. You know, the world, which was pretty crazy. And then the pandemic hit and we no longer had real-life events. So right. all of a sudden... So then what now? And so we started doing um, virtual conversations. And during the pandemic, over two years, we had over 800 conversations with women in, you know, over 100 countries. And so... Our business completely transformed from an in real life business to virtual. So now we have four pillars that include our, we're back to in real life. So we're back to doing, you know, in real life. So we have our quality lounges across every industry from sports to finance to um, media, you know, exactly what we were doing before. Um, we also now have a consulting business, an advisory business, because we were listening to what women want and need. So, you know, from the great resignation, what do women want and need? So we're working with Fortune 500, talking to how to reimagine the workplace and get go from the great resignation to the great reimagination and help to I like that. close the gaps, um, you know, across the board. So we now have equality lounges, so FQ lounges. We also have FQ Advisory, um, and then it put us in a really great position to launch our FQ Media business as our third pillar. We have more content and great content from the um, virtual stuff that we were doing. So we really have gotten, you know, we have over 750,000 women in our community that expanded pretty exponentially um, through the pandemic. So we have a media business. And then the fourth pillar is now FQ Talent. We have been helping women um, really with visibility, creating visibility for women all over the world in profiling and helping women um, get visible on stages. And so we now have a fourth pillar, which is FQ Talent, which we've been um, expanding. So that really expanded our business in a whole new way. That's amazing, Shelley. Do you, do you partner with Chief at all? How do you see yourselves versus what Chief is doing? Well, wait, 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 oh, wait, wait, wait. Addie, tell the audience and your listeners who adore you what Chief is. <laughs> Chief is a is a is a professional women's network. It's by invitation only, and uh, I know a lot of women in it, and they derive enormous value. They'll they converse about issues that are emotionally relevant. They ask questions. Hey, do you know somebody who is looking for a job in X Y Z? And it's it's a, it's not from what I understand. It's it's a meaningful series of connections that are made through Chief. Maybe it's getting too big. I don't know. You're the expert. No, it's a wonderful organization. We love Chief. Uh, uh, A lot of our women are in Chief. Um, You know, FQ is the largest global community of women in the workplace, but our women are um, across the board from 
top down, bottom up, and all around. So we are a community that is free. We don't charge women to be in our community. Um, and it is not uh, something that is a membership. We are just one large community where we connect women all over the world um, for free. So it's free to be a part of our community. And right. advice is, um, we really call it mentorship at the moment. You know, you get advice, bits of advice of advice from everyone, from right. entry-level women to senior women, you know, because you right. learn from everybody. So it's not a membership model. Um, and also in our lounges, it's men and women. It's about conscious leadership. So it's about rewriting the rules um, in the workplace um, and, you know, changing the equation and closing the gap. So it's very different than Chief. Um, right. So Chief is a, a wonderful organization, but it's very different than what we do. It's different. The, mar the yeah. marketer in me has to ask, with you being the largest organization of women in the world, do you market at all to those, to those, to that enormous database that you have? Is that, all, no. is that sort of philosophically opposed to what you want to do? Yeah. No, we, we don't do anything with it. It really is just to let people know um, where our lounges is, uh, you know, and it really, our lounges are pop-ups at big industry conferences and um, our newsletter goes to our database. We really only use it for that reason. Um, and it really is um, a service that we provide to the industry to, you know, we're in the business of equality and our lounges are sponsored by our partners and it's the power of collaboration. It really is about all of us coming together to share um, information and to work together to close these gaps. And that's really our goal is to make the workplace um, better for everyone. Because if we can mm -hmm. design the workplace to work for the lowest common denominator, to work for women, a workplace designed by women for everyone, then we truly can create uh, a workplace finally that will um, really be an equal opportunity space that um, will be comfortable for everyone and everyone can thrive. And that's our goal. That's fantastic. Like looking forward, because Addie and I are futurists, how do you see female quotient or, you know, in the next five years, what, what will it become? What do you hope for it? Um, we we're working on something actually and Eddie, that we should really be working with you on. Um, you know, we, we go to the world economic forum and we've created the um, equality lounge there and it, we've been there for about seven years now and it's been remarkable. And, you know, it's the space for, you know, all conscious leaders to come and we work together to change the equation and close the gaps and the world economic forum always releases the latest gender equity report. And the latest report says it'll take 132 years to close the gender equity gap. And I read it the other day and it's, it's closed the gap four years sooner than um, the year before. So down from 136 years to 132 years. And I was reading it the other day and I said, this is the silliest thing I've ever read. It was the first time it kind of hit me. And I said, well, 132 years. Why would any CEO want to close it? Why would anyone put budget towards it? If it takes, I mean, if I said, okay, here, you can buy this, put your money, put a deposit down for it. You can get these in 132 years from now. Why would anyone put a deposit down for it if it's not available for 132 more years? If yeah. The gender equity report is based on four dimensions, economics, right, wage gap, health, education, and government. Those four dimensions make the gender equity gap, right? So I started thinking about that. It's not that it takes rocket scientists to figure it out. We know that women are paid on average 80 cents on the dollar, black women 64 cents on the dollar, Latinas 53 cents oh, on the dollar. Disgusting. We know that you could put, we know you could put women in leadership positions. We know how to do that. You just put women in leadership positions. We know you can put more women on boards if, or black women on boards if you want to. It's just about intention, right? It's not complicated. And so I started thinking, Kennedy wanted to put men on the moon. We could have put women on the moon if we had spacesuits that fit them. It took 10 years to get that done. 
we know that when the pandemic hit, we needed a vaccine. It took one year to make a vaccine. We wanted self-driving cars, cars without people in it could figure out when the light is red and when the light is green and when there's traffic patterns and when there's accidents. Hello. We know how to make it happen. All it takes is prioritization. We're just not making it a priority. So I have an op-ed piece coming out. And so we know how to close the gap. We could close the wage gap. We could close the gap. We could pay Sally the same as Peter if we want to. But we, we don't could close want it to. in five years, not 132. But, the re- but then the 182 years or whatever, I think, reflects the resistance. That's right. Exactly. So that's what my op-ed piece says. Hopefully it'll be published in the Wall Street Journal. And I hope so. so. All it says, so I, all I ask for is 10 Fortune 500 CEOs to have a moonshot mindset, make it a priority, make gender equity a priority. And I believe we can close the gender equity gap in Fortune 500 in five years or less, not 132. That's it. It is not hard. It just takes conscious leaders and making it a priority, period. Exclamation point. You don't need to be a futurist. You need you don't need to be a rocket scientist. No. You just need the will. And do you think you'll get those CEOs to the table? Yes. So just fine. Isn't though is I agree with that. It's I, I agree that a lot of it is self-imposed sort of paralysis, but isn't the wage gap closing faster with larger companies and it's in the long tail? and smaller companies in service industry where the wage gap is more pronounced? Okay. Do you know how we have the data at our fingertips? It's just we look for every excuse of why not. Well, because if we close the gap, we have to go backwards and retrofit. Well, because so-and-so is at level this, and then we have to do the Just start tomorrow. I mean, it doesn't matter how big a company, how small a company. Yes, it'll cost you some money. Mark Benioff did it from Salesforce. It yeah, cost exactly. him some money. It's not hard. It's so obvious. The data, every single Fortune 500 CEO has the data in front of them. They know what their gap is. I and built is, a, a calculator is, that calculates it. And this is the irony because these are companies that are supposedly data-driven. But this is the one area where somehow the data doesn't turn into behavior. Yet the whole the whole organizational structure is data driven decision making. Uh, uh, yet it'll take a hundred and thirty. By the way, two years ago it said for just the wage gap, they said it will take two hundred and fifty seven years to close the wage gap. Addie, two hundred fifty seven years. Ah, uh, she's calling what? you Addie, Addie. Yes, I heard that. I, I appreciated that. Julie noticed. Two hundred fifty seven years to figure it's- out how to pay. Mary, the same as Paul. They don't want to, Shelley. They don't want to. No, they don't want to. So here's Addie's next question I'll ask for him. Please go ahead. Why? Why don't they want to? Because men have been realizing the benefits for so damn long. Or why can't we just take 50% of the men off the boards tomorrow and put 50% women on? I'm just asking this other question, which is a little more risky, maybe. Psychological. Why don't they want this. I can tell you why. And tell it's me. not going to be as obvious as you're you the can. futurist. Now, this is not about future, it's pastist, but right. it's because we smell different. It is almost Addie, give me the word, like an archaeological anthropological. Anthropological, I meant thing that we smell different. Our tears like make people, you know, men nervous. We they they've been looking at us as things to have sex with for so many not decades, millennia, and they I mean they go like, What? Ew, what? Ew. So I think it's a much bigger problem than like the cut not cut and dry, but you know, you're so analytical, so fabulous. But yeah. You could solve it, bang, 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 but there is a resistance. And it's not only keep, like people say, keeping women down. It's not only that. It's like it's like having a skunk in the room who gets their period. But but who made them the boss to make that decision? We did. Like, we, 
Right. That's my point. It's like, I'm sorry, then it's time to take them out and make us the boss. Let's make Beyonce the boss. Yeah, well, you know, there, there, are, there are matriarchal cultures where that is anthropologically, where that is yeah, the case, where women that, do run society. But that would take a revolution. That would take a real revolution. And look. Do you know who revolted, though? Who? Do you know who revolted? Who? Do you know how change happened? Iceland. I'm going to go back to Addy, my boyfriend right now. You know what happened in Iceland? In what? Iceland, the women said, "Are we?" Well, said "F you," and all the women one day—I don't remember what year it was. Someone can look this up. Twenty. I'm going to make it up. Twenty. Two thousand eight. Let's just say two thousand six, two thousand eight. I don't know. One day, all the women one day walked out at the same time. Every this single is woman. This is Strata. Right. And they all picked themselves up and walked out and said, we're done the same day. And that was the day they all got paid equally. And that changed the game. It's now, revolution. Iceland is a small little country, but Iceland as a result is number one year after year after year on gender equality out of 144 countries. Boom, bam, bing. Okay. And they still smell good. Faith, they smell good. They smell yummy. <laughs> okay. So, best guest ever. Thank you so much for coming on. And we really appreciate it. Appreciate the time, especially after the wedding. You must be just like dying. No, so I'm pretty tired. tired but I know, but you, you always invigorate me. I, oh, I, I can't wait you. to now have dinner. Can we have dinner? Absolutely. Absolutely. We will have dinner. Dinner is Faith's favorite thing as long as it's appropriate libations served. <laughs> yeah. So Addie and you and I, we're gonna have dinner and like let's make some trouble together. And I think we'd I'm so ready. For, I'm so ready. We'd be so good at it. I haven't Anyways. even told you like the best part of how I'm gonna get the yeses from the CEO. Tell me. So Someone said, because like, I don't think any of the other things worked. You know, we've talked about the business case. We talked about why women are good for business. We've, we've done all that. Nothing worked, right? But I started thinking, what is going to get a CEO like really hot and bothered, right? Like, what is it going to take? And then I thought, what the only thing that it's going to take is how do you get colleges to really get excited about, you know, being on the edge to get the high, the best high school students, right? Right. And stay on their game. Well, the best way to get CEOs is to want the best incoming um, blood. Class. Right? So it's the future workforce. They need the future workforce. And they're going to want the best women coming in. And so if I could get the 10 best schools that the CEOs want, so if Home Depot wants HBCUs and General Motors recruits from, I'm going to find out what school. So I want if I pick my yeah. 10 CEO targets that I want, so I want General Motors and I want Home Depot and I want, you know, so I'm going to pick my 10. Then I'm going to look at what schools they want the incoming you know, influx. Right. I'm going to get a hundred of the top women MBAs. Those I'm going to have them write to those C CEOs and say, "We're not going to apply to your companies unless you sign up." So we're going to boycott your company, and we're going to get our school. Well, if you want to, you know, so here's an idea to go upstream. So all of these, all of these employers, every large employer runs job fairs and they run job yep. fairs at certain colleges. So you should have a fifth pillar. You should be in the job fair business because that's controlling it at the source. But that's my point. That's what we're going to be in. That's going to be pillar five, but that's basically FG talent, but I'm going to go in and pair the women, the top schools that these 10 go to, they're going to write the letters they're going to nominate the CEO. They're going to be the incoming class, incoming, you know, um, future workforce into that thing. 
And I already built a whole program around closing the gaps with the areas that are weak, that are losing women, the things that are losing women. And they're going to nominate the CEO. Those are going to be the 10 CEOs paired with the thousand women from the 10 schools. That's this cool. is what we're going to talk about. That's brilliant. I know. And we're going to talk about building the future. Yeah. And it's called the flipping point. I like that. So Addie, Shelly Zalas, she is on the brink of creating a revolution, I think. Yeah, she is on fire. It's And revolutions need that kind of energy. And she certainly has it. And in fact, as she said, the pandemic froze things or set them back. So the revolution has even more fuel ready to be um, set on fire. But do you know what I loved about her? I've met a lot of revolutionaries. I'm sure you have too. She's not angry. How come? What is wrong with her? I mean, well, she's. No... I think she's. She's not angry. She's got um, productive frustration. Yeah, she's directed productive frustration, yes. but not angry. No, she doesn't take it. She doesn't take it personally as I do. No, because she looks at she looks at the problem analytically and comes up with counter analytical solutions to solve it rather than just philosophizing about it. But you can be angry and also be able to come up with like the numbers and everything, but she is not, maybe because she was not treated that badly or she started a company in, you know, early days or whatever. But right. I just, did you like her? I, she's, yeah, it was fun. I loved yeah, her. Yeah, she liked you, Addie. Stole my name for you. Anyway, <laughs> see you in the future. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. So that was another episode of Jolty. Faith and I enjoyed it. We love shaking things up. We love hosting people who are transforming the world, who refuse to accept the status quo, and who are hopefully, and I think are, helping our listeners succeed in this jolty, jagged, and complicated world that we're in. So please rate us or comment on iTunes or the platform of your choice. But be nice your friends and uh, see you next time yeah see you in the future peace see you in the future <laughs>